Mac Power Users, Episode 184, Macworld 2014 and Power User Workflows. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, sitting right beside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, it's kind of fun recording a show next to each other. Yeah, we are side-by-side each other in the media booth at Macworld 2014 on the show floor. They've got us in a little white box here, so things probably sound a little different. We've got your Zoom recorder hooked up to a microphone that I brought in my bag, and it's a little hodgepodge, so we'll do the best we can with what we've got. But the good news is if Katie gets tired of me, she can actually kick me now. Right, and so if you hear a loud thud in the beginning of the show and then you don't hear from David anymore, you'll you'll know exactly what happened. You don't have anything in that bag, do you, Katie? It's no, I don't, think I, I don't think I can reach it from here. All right. So, that doesn't mean I won't get up and go get it, though. So for Macworld this year, we thought we'd have some fun. Uh, we did a big show, uh, had a lot of listeners there, which was really kind of great, talking about some of our favorite power tricks that we've used over the years on the show, and we thought it'd be fun to share those with the listeners as well. So we're going to do that. So the first half of the show is going to be productivity-based. After that, we're going to add some, some interviews and some, some show floor color as well. So you're going to be able to get the best of both worlds here. But before we start, I wanted to thank 1Password for exclusively sponsoring this show. 1Password brings you outstanding password software. met a lot of our listeners at the show who are bragging about how they're using 1Password to keep their data safe. You should be doing that, too. And we'll hear for more about 1Password as the show goes on. Yeah, I think later in the show, we're, we're actually going to talk to some of the folks from 1Password and, and let you hear from them directly. So looking forward to doing that. But um, in this tips show that we did for, for Macworld, one of the things we did is David and I took our favorite tips that we've, we've accumulated through, gosh, 184 episodes of doing Mac Power Users and, and put those together and in rapid-fire succession for a presentation, and, and I think it went over really well. We, we got some good reception. And uh, so, David, why don't you tell us about your, your first tip? Well, my first one is an oldie but a goodie, and it's the ability to print a PDF using the keyboard. So everybody knows that when you are on your Mac, if you get to the print dialog box, which you get to by hitting Command-P on your Mac, uh, there's an option to save as PDF. Um, that's great, but it's a lot of work because you've got the document open, then you've got to take your hand off the keyboard, and then you've got to navigate to the Save as PDF button, and then you've got to press a button. It just gets on and on. So what I showed everybody to do is how to make a keyboard shortcut. So if you go into the Preferences on your Mac and the Keyboard, and then on the Shortcut tab, you can go in and do a keyboard shortcut. You want to go to the Application Shortcuts, and then it's going to give you a menu to to use to create that shortcut. What you want to do is type in the exact text of the shortcut you're using. In this case, it is save as PDF. So save is capitalized, and then PDF is all caps, and then there's an ellipsis after. And I did a screencast on this. I'm going to put in the show notes so you can go watch it if you're having trouble following along. But once you get that keyboard shortcut in there or that, that menu command, then you type in the keyboard shortcut, which in this case I use command P which is the exact same keyboard shortcut you use to open up the print dialog. So then I can hold down the command key and press P twice and save anything to PDF. It sounds silly, but I use it many times every day, and it's super useful. So we'll put a screencast into the show notes. You can check that out, but that was a, that was a fun tip to share, and it's, it's one of my, it's not a real difficult one, but it's one of my favorite ones to teach people because once you start figuring out that you can put keyboard shortcuts and into anything in the menu bars, then that really opens up a new world. So let's say you're using Adobe Illustrator all the time and there's one command you really want to use and you don't want to have to select it. You can make a keyboard shortcut for that too. So uh, make this first one because it's useful to everyone and then start looking around for ones that you may find are useful for you. So that was my first tip, Katie. And a, a quick note about the show notes, because we're recording this live from the show and, and uploading it probably the same day that you're going to hear from it, um, it may take us a couple of days after we upload the show to get the show notes completed. So if you don't see those links in the show notes right away, um, make sure you check back a little bit later in the week at MacPowerUsers.com, and we'll do our best to get as many as we can in by the time they're uploaded. But um, the show notes may be a work in progress, and they may not be complete till midweek, but we'll do the best we can with that. Uh, but my, my next tip, 
is I, I talked about all of the plugins that I use to make mail really more of a power user tool because I still use Apple Mail as my primary mail client, but out of the box, it, it's not the best power user tool. And so the good thing is that you can expand mail with, with plugins. And there are a couple in particular that I use to extend the functionality of Apple Mail. Uh, and the first one that I use is probably my favorite overall plugin for Apple Mail, and that's called Mail Act On. And they recently, in the last couple of weeks, have come out with version 3. And version 3 has a couple of features that I use all the time. Um, the first feature is a feature called Delayed Send. And this is a new one for version 3. So what you can do with Delayed Send is you can type, it, it actually creates an additional toolbar at the bottom of your mail message. And you can tell it to deliver a message either at a specific date and time. Um, so if you wanted to send something at 4 o'clock on a Friday, you could say, okay, whatever the date is next Friday, send the message at 4 o'clock. Um, or you could send a message, say, at a certain time from now. So you could say send a message 20 minutes from now. And that's helpful because if someone just sent me a message and I immediately reply to it, sometimes I don't want them to know that I'm I'm that quick in responding to my email and I, I don't want them to get unrealistic expectations. Or maybe we all have those messages that we want to send at eleven or four fifty nine on a Friday before we head out of the office for a week. Yeah, or or you could send it at four in the morning and just scare the heck out of the other guy. Yeah. Um, Katie, I'll tell you what, mail act on I wasn't using it as much. Because in, was it, I guess it was a lion or mountain lion where they added the keyboard shortcuts to mail natively, which is what mail act on was initially really great for doing. Uh, but now this new version of mail act on is really powerful. I am so in again with mail act on. If you, if you haven't been using it because you figured you could get by with the keyboard shortcuts and Apple mail, uh, which are really great. Uh, this new mail act on is worth checking out. Yeah, and, and that's really been the bread and butter of Mail Act On for a long time is the ability to quickly file messages um, using keyboard shortcuts. And, and that still is a big part of Mail Act On. As David mentioned, if you have specific mailboxes, you can move them up to your toolbar in Apple Mail. And so, for example, if your archive mailbox is the first mailbox on your toolbar, then Command 1 moves a message to the archive. If you're um, you know, I, I don't know, your your later mailbox is, is number two, then command two moves a message to later. But if you have more than a couple of mailboxes, Mail Act On allows you to pull up a quick hot menu and with just a couple of keystrokes, you can easily file messages. But then another new feature in Mail Act On. Let me just correct you really okay. quick there, Katie. It's actually in Apple Mail, it's it's a control command. Oh, control command, you're if right. You, if you hold command, it jumps to the appropriate mailbox. If you hold control and command together, it allows you to file to that mailbox. Right. Um, and then another feature in Mail Act On that I've, I've come to use quite a bit in conjunction with Text Expander um, is they have the ability to, to reply to things with quick reply templates. Um, so you can create a quick reply template if you find yourself constantly responding or giving the same response to email. Um, I do a lot of those with Text Expander snippets, but you can also use that with Mail Act On. So you can have these tokens that you can insert, like dear, insert first name here, here's a boilerplate text. And, and you can sign out. So um, without even actually having to open a mail message, you can you know hit a couple of keys and it will automatically respond to that message in a more personal way, um, you know, with some boilerplate text. Now, before version three of Mail Act On came out, and maybe if you don't need all the features of Mail Act On, I used a, a plugin called Send Later, and that was only ten bucks that would do the same type of thing, allowing you to schedule messages to send either at a specific time or at a specific time from now. And that worked really well. Um, it's not a plugin that I use anymore because it's it, that feature is now included in Mail Act on version three. But I just mention it for people who who don't need uh, the full features of Mail Act on, but still want to send stuff later. Although I'd recommend checking out Mail Act on. I'm so impressed with this new version. Yeah, and there, there's a free trial that that you can try. Um, but another plugin that I use, and, and I preach this to people all the time, and sometimes it's hard for them to grasp the concept, is that mail is never intended to be used as a medium to send large files. Um, once you get above, up above about 10 megabytes, it's hard to say whether a file is being sent reliably because there are all of these limitations, and if it's not on your mail server, it's probably on the recipient's mail server that is not going to allow them to receive large files. So, you know, David, I can't send you our 150 megabyte uh, keynote presentation, that's just not going to be sent by my server and it's not going to be received by yours. Uh, so there's a, a great plugin called Cargo Lifter, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes, that will, once you drag and drop a large file on top of your um, email message 
it will sense that and you can configure it that it will automatically upload these large um, these large files to some kind of cloud storage. And I use Dropbox. You could use Google Drive. It, it syncs with a lot of different cloud storage solutions. And then it actually removes that attachment from your message and includes a message at the bottom of your email message saying, hey, the uh, the attachment that the sender wanted you to see has been stripped from this message, but, but here's where you can download it uh, from this specific link. And as an added bonus, um, I've created a Hazel rule to automatically remove all of those files after seven days so I don't have them cluttering up my Dropbox. Yeah, so you put the file in, it puts it on Dropbox, and then the recipient has like seven days to get it, and if they don't, then tough luck. Right. Uh, you know, the opposite direction, you know, when you have these people who are sending you all these attachments uh, are sometimes sponsor SaneBox as a service, as part of the SaneBox service, where it can take attachments out of incoming emails and add those to Dropbox. Do you ever use that? I, I have used that, yeah. And it just—it's another way of keeping your your email email inbox free and cluttered. Um, another another power plugin that I use for Apple Mail is an attachment called for, or a, a plugin called Forget Me Not. It's made by the same people who make Send Later and Cargo Lifter, and it's really great because it does one thing and it does it really well. Um, if you send an email message and who hasn't done this that say, "Hey, attached is here. Here's this file or here's this document I wanted you to review." And then you forget to actually attach the document. And I think this is a feature in, in Google um, Mail. You can turn it on in Labs, but if you're not using the Google Mail client, you don't get the benefit of that. These are all, again, plugins for Apple Mail. Um, it will say, uh, hey, by the way, you uh, you said you attached a file, but you didn't actually do that. You may want to go look at this again. And it keeps you from hitting send before you, you've actually attached the file. Kind of a way to idiot-proof your sending of email. <laughs> I still do that, Katie. I wasn't going to use that word, but, you know, yes. No. Um, and then the last plugin I mentioned is is one that is is in beta for Mavericks. They haven't quite gotten all the bugs worked out of it, but it's called Attachment Tamer. And, and I wrote about this on my blog a while ago, and I'll, I'll put that link, post link in the show notes. And what Attachment Tamer is, I have never liked the way that Apple Mail handles attachments. It will put these attachments in line wherever you happen to drag them. So, you know, if you have a PDF, it'll give you a preview of the PDF. Or if you have images, it will give you images of the, or preview of the images. And I always found that frustrating. I found like it, it cluttered up my messages and maybe it's just, it, it always bothered me. So what Attachment Tamer does is it takes all of those inline attachments, or you can specify maybe you want your images to be in line, but maybe you don't want your PDFs to be in line. And it attaches them, as I would say, as proper attachments so that you don't actually see them in line. And then you can even create an option where it only attaches them at the bottom of a message uh, so you don't have to see them cluttering up your mail messages. It just it makes my inbox, uh, my outbox rather, nice, clean, and happy. Yeah, I have to admit, Katie, I, I kind of saw a side of you when you were talking about this, when you were talking about how the it, it presented images in your email make you crazy. You get this sour look on your face. <laughs> It, I can tell it's really bugging you. It bothers me. And the, and the beauty is what Attachment Tamer does is it does that for all of your incoming messages. So, David, if, if you're crazy and you send me a bunch of freaky inline attachments, it will fix it on my incoming so messages. So there's no way I can push your buttons on this is what you're telling you me. You can't, no. Well, attachment Tamer bad, fixes it I was it actually looking forward to that. Yeah, sorry about that. So um, those are just a couple of the power plugins that I use to uh, to manage Apple Mail. Now, there's a couple of ways that, that you can um, disable inline attachments through the terminal or through one of our favorite apps, Secrets. Um, the problem with using those methods is that you don't have the control that you do with Attachment Tamer. So Attachment Tamer, for example, for, for people who use, like, images in their signature block, it won't strip those out. It, it's smart. But, um, but yeah, you can, you can See, check those out. To me, out. that's an advantage. I... I I don't mind crazy attachments, but I don't like those crazy email signatures with attachments. It makes me nuts. That's, that's what gets to me. Yeah. It, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, while I, while I was on vacation here at Macworld, I got an email from my senior partner explaining to me that everybody now needs to conform their email signatures to the same style to include the you know our company logo as a, you know, you, in the email. You have to step in, Katie. You have to step in. And say, uh, excuse me, this is stupid, and I... Let me explain to you why. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So send them a copy of my book. Right. And, and when I'm fired, we're, we're going to come up You're with You're not going to get fired. They're going to value your ability to help them not look like idiots. Okay. Well, I don't send it, so I wonder if I was the reason that they sent that little email around. Because <laughs> I'm the be. nonconformist. It could be. Now, now, David, you did a really good section. Um, you, so I talked about kind of how I hack email to make it work for me, but you talked about how you hack the calendar to make yeah. it work for you. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I like uh, having some things I do in calendaring. And some of this we've talked about in prior shows. We just did a calendar show recently. So listeners may know some of this stuff. Although one of the things I didn't mention in the calendar show is setting meetings with multiple people and how, did I talk about this? I don't remember. I don't think I did. Yeah. So the, um, it's really nice, by the way, being able to look at you while we do the show. It's it's a lot easier. And when I roll my eyes, you know it's time to stop. Well, I I actually know when you roll your eyes when you're in Florida. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty apparent. <laughs> and I haven't even mentioned tea yet. But anyway, uh, one of the things is, don't you hate it when you get a list, uh, uh, email to like five people, and they're like, "Hey, let's set a meeting," and you just know in your in your guts that it's going to be like 20 emails and madness, and you're going to be wasting all this time trying to figure out when you can meet. Um, so several years ago, I found this great service. It's called doodle.com, and it's a free service. I think there's a paid version, but I've always got by fine with the free one. And doodle allows you to go in and set a meeting, and you can set the title, location, description of meeting, and then it allows you to select potential days to do the meeting. So to use my example of five people, I'll say, let's set a meeting concerning creating new anvils for the Acme Corporation. And we'll set the meeting and I'll, I'll say, I'm available Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the hours of 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. So that will then I will send a link to that out to people. And it, there's a web page now that has this meeting on it. And the other four people that are going to attend the meeting can log onto the web page and they can click which of those times work for them. So John may say, I can do it at 9 a.m. on Wednesday and 1 p.m. on Friday. And Nancy may say Thursday and Friday. But at the end of the day, you're going to have everybody listing all their availability and everybody's going to see everybody else's availability. So you're going to know the times the other people have said they're available. And you're going to find a time that works. And every time I've done a meeting this way, it's worked. I haven't had to do 20 emails it's just really simple. And as the meeting administrator, I get a, a special link that shows me um, the uh, continued information. And I send an email to everyone at the end that says, hey, everybody, we're having a meeting. It's going to be Friday at 1 p.m. Everybody's available. It's happening. It's so much easier. Uh, I've even hijacked other people's meetings. You know, when people say, I want you to attend a meeting and there's going to be five of us there and, and all the crazy email starts. I will set up a doodle and send it out, even though it's not my own meeting, because it just makes me so crazy. I have a question about that. Can you can you send the administrator access to somebody else? Because there have been meetings that I want to hijack, but then it's, it's really somebody else's meeting, so I, I want them to, to make the final decision. So can you do that and then send them the admin link? Yeah, it's a panel, and it's, it's a website. So there's two links when you set it up. You get the link that you send out to people to sign up, and then there's the administrator link. It really, you could use the sign-up link really to know when when is the best time. But the administrator panel allows you to kill it once you've finished the setting up the meeting. But Doodle.com, it's a great service. Uh, I use it probably once a week to set up a meeting, and it solves a lot of problems for me. I also admitted during the show uh, once when I was on a phone conference with a judge and some other lawyers. And we were having this problem trying to set the meeting. And I said, it's no problem. I'll doodle you. And that did not go over well. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Sometimes I'm such a nerd, I forget everybody else is not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I do for meetings is once I've set the meeting is I want to make sure everybody has a word of it. And so I use a text expander snippet and I did it. And I think I posted on this one. So I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I've got a really cool text expander snippet that goes out to a group of people and it has the meeting agenda. It has what you know the time is. I usually send it out the day before. I have an OmniFocus task every day that says um, tomorrow's calendar. And I just look at what's in the tomorrow's calendar. And if I've got any meetings, I go ahead and fire off the snippet and send an email to the various participants. So they have a reminder the day before. They know when it's at, what's on the agenda, and approximately how long it will take. I think we, we did a meeting show about two years ago. And uh, I may have talked about this then, but th this is a really nice way to make sure people show up. And uh, we also talked a little bit about displaying more weekdays. And I know we covered that in the calendar show recently, but there is a terminal command in calendars that you can change the number of weekdays. Or if you're using BusyCal, there's a setting right in the preferences. You can pick, you know, if it's going to show seven days in the week view or 14 or whatever you want. So that, that was some calendar hacks I like to share with people.
After that, Katie, it was your turn, and you talked a little bit about Keyboard Maestro. Of course, of course. It wouldn't be a, a Mac Power user show if we didn't talk about Keyboard Maestro. So I, I've talked quite a bit about this Mac Mini server that I have in my house that, that does some interesting things. That It's actually come in handy on, on this trip because I've, I've logged into the server a couple of times to grab files or to download videos. Um, my, my mom doesn't sleep well on the plane, and so I downloaded a bunch of shows off my TiVo that recorded this week and transferred them over to, uh, to my transporter and then pulled them off my transporter and uh, put them on her iPad this morning. So she'll very happy to be able to have shows to watch on the plane ride on the way back. But, you know, sometimes that Mac mini just gets laggy and it needs to be restarted. And if it happens in a situation like now where I don't have physical access to the Mac mini, I can be in a world of hurt because I've got file vault enabled in that Mac mini and file vault is fairly low level and happens, you know, before the, you know, right at the boot process. So if you don't insert, you know, if you don't type in your administrative password to unlock file vault, um, your Mac's going to turn off after a few minutes and, and you can't get access to anything that you need on your Mac and, and, and you're out of luck. So the, the question that I, and the problem that I was trying to solve is how do I restart a Mac that's giving me trouble that's file vault enabled if I don't have immediate physical access to it? Or, or maybe I just don't want to go you know, hook up a keyboard and, and mouse and go do that. And so I, I did find a terminal command that would do that, and it's a sudo fde setup space auth restart, and I'll put links to that all in the show notes. And that will basically do an authorized restart of your Mac, and uh, you type in your password in advance. So you type this into the terminal. It asks you for your password. It usually asks you to confirm your password by entering it twice, and then immediately your Mac will restart and because you've entered your password, it will bypass File Vault because it, it has it stored in memory and it will it will already clear File Vault. So I needed a way to do this and Keyboard Maestro to the rescue. And one of the things you can do in Keyboard Maestro is you can set these variables. So I knew that I had this password variable, and you can set a variable in Keyboard Maestro to be something in your Max keychain. So inside my Max keychain, I have stored because I want to keep it secure, my administrative password to my computer. So I, in Keyboard Maestro, I set the variable of password in this action to the, um, the name of that password in my keychain, which happens to be just named account because it's my account password. Um, and then, so once I had that variable set, I didn't actually want to type my password in the Keyboard Maestro because I felt like that was a little bit insecure. So Keyboard Maestro will make a call to the keychain to pull that password out keep it secure and type in that information. So this is kind of a multi-step keyboard maestro, but, but you, if you can follow along, it's pretty simple. Um, basically what keyboard maestro does is it opens the terminal. It types that text in that pseudo FDE setup auth restart text. Then it types the return key and then it types in that password that it pulls from the keychain. So it inserts that variable. It pulls from the keychain. It hits the return key again and then because it asks for the password again, it then pulls that variable again from the keychain and hits the return key, and then boom, my Mac restarts. Now, how do I do something like that if I'm here at a conference at Macworld? Well, little known fact, Keyboard Maestro has an iPhone app that if you configure it before you go, you can set your iPhone app to run Keyboard Maestro macros on your Mac before you go. And a couple of people in the session tweeted out that they didn't know that Keyboard Maestro had an iPhone app and it still works. Um, it hasn't been updated in a while. It, it's still not optimized for the iPhone 5. Um, and then the developer tweeted out that, that he's actually working on an update for that kind of in response to that. So, nice. Uh, nice. so, so that's good to hear. Um, and then, of course, I talked about, you know, some of the other uses. I mean, we've talked at length about Keyboard Maestro on the show, about, you know, the massive other uses that we, we have for Keyboard Maestro. So you can go check out our other episodes on that. You know, I have to tell you, Katie, what really impressed me about that workflow you made was the having the smarts to say go to the keychain and get my account password rather than just putting it because you could have put your password into the keyboard maestro script but it would be on your computer and it'd be you know who knows where it would be but it would have never occurred to me to go have keyboard maestro pull the password out of the account i thought that was really smart yeah and it wasn't smart on my part. It was smart on Keyboard Maestro's part to say, to have a feature to be able to do that. Yeah, but be even just to, to think to use it, I, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that, that was impressive. Yeah. So. Uh, after that, uh, I did one on 
uh, one of my uh, favorite tips what I call automator email, which is uh, I send emails to a couple people many times a day. And uh, I realize that I could, because I dictate so often, I've got this email text in a text file and I want to get it into an email. And it takes time to copy it, open a new email, paste it in, address the email. It's, you know, all this stuff just adds up. So I made an automator script that handles this. This one's going to be really hard to explain over an audio podcast, but I'm going to go for it. But you've screencasted this before. I think it's on your Mac Sparky site. Yeah, I did a whole screencast on it. We'll, we'll link it. But the idea is you create an automator script that grabs, and it's a service. And we've talked about scripts before. The great thing about services is you can select text and automatically apply this automator script to it. So I'll have the text already written in my byword probably, and I will select it, and then I will right-click on it, and it'll say, and I've got the services available. One of the services will be email Katie. And so the service that I created in Automator goes like this. Number one is you create new mail message, which is one of the Automator commands. You drag that over, and it gives you like a dummy email. And you can type in certain things in the Automator. So I would put in Katie's email address, and in the subject line I'd say a note from David, and then I would select the from account. And I apologize if we've got some background noise here. You know, everybody's starting to get rambunctious at Macworld. But we'll just go ahead and continue and soldier on. So then I leave the body of the message blank. And from there, uh, the next automator script is to send the message. So it's just a two-step automator. Anybody could do it. If you go watch my screencast, you'll figure it right out. Once you're done... Then I go and activate that service. So if I select text and say email Katie, it will grab the text, put it in an email message, send it to her, and I don't do anything else. It's just done. I don't even really see the email application. It's a great little service. Go watch the um, go watch the screencast if, if you have any interest in it. But I've set this up for people I work with and people in my family and Katie, and it makes it really easy for me to get quick notes off to them via email. All right. Well, we had to take a quick break because David now has a cup of tea. Yes, I actually took a lot of pleasure in that, Katie. Um, I'm drinking tea while podcasting with you, and you're looking at me with a face that exactly is the face I imagined you would have. Now I get to see it. Yes. I, I had a nice cup of coffee earlier this morning at Mel's, so I'm, I'm good. That doesn't bother me at all. I yeah. have no animosity towards your coffee. I'm just putting that on the record. <laughs> so I, th- I think we'll cover one, one more tip here, and, and hopefully the noise has died down a little bit in the background, and uh, we'll, we'll try to take care of that. But the, the last tip that I covered that was uh, one of my favorites is how you can combine together two of my favorite tools, um, If This Then That and Hazel, to automatically lock your computer whenever you leave an area. So here was the problem that I had to solve. Um, I was sitting in my office one day, and we had a bunch of, we had our office painted, and we had a bunch of workers in our office doing some stuff, and I had to leave for an appointment. And I just walked away, and I left for an appointment. And now I have a screensaver that kicks on after about 10 minutes, so it's not that big of a deal, and it, it locks, and it locks my computer. You have to type in a password to get past the screensaver. But as I was driving away, and I got a couple of blocks away from the office, I kind of thought twice about it, and I thought, you know, I, I, I probably should have made sure that I locked my computer before I left. And I started noodling on this for a little while, thinking, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way that I could lock my computer anytime I left an area? And not just my office, but if whenever I left my house, you know, if I was running to the grocery store or leaving my house for the morning, if I knew that my computer was locked so that if something happened, it was all locked and secured. And um, I thought about how can I make this happen? And I figured out if this, then that. So if this, then that released an iOS app not too long ago. And because your iPhone in your pocket is this GPS locator that always knows where you are, uh, you can activate an iOS location channel on the app for if this, then that. So that's step one to this is grab the if this, then that app and activate the iOS location channel. And so that's really kind of a cool service in itself. Like when you think about it, you could make a service that says when you leave work, text your spouse that you're on the way home. And if this and that would do it. Yeah. Um, the uh, But you could also do that with Find Friends and some other services. But I'm just always looking for ways to use if this than that. I thought that was smart. Yeah. So that's the first step is activate the, the location channel on if this than that. The second thing is you actually go on the if this than that website and you, you make your first if then statement. So if I leave this particular area, so if 
activate the location channel, and then you put in the geographic location, whether it's your home office, whether it's your, whether it's your home, whether it's your office. And I have multiple rules. I have one for my home and one for my office. So if I leave this area, and you can you can tweak the setting on if this and that for for how granular you want to be. Do you is it when you leave your house, or is it when you leave the block, or, or is it when you leave the neighborhood? Um, is when it fires. And so what's it going to do? It's going to add a file to my Dropbox, just a simple text file to my Dropbox, because Dropbox also has an if this, then that channel. So if I leave an area, a file gets added to my Dropbox. And you can name it whatever, but I just named mine Lock Computer. So if I leave an area, a file named Lock Computer gets added to my Dropbox. And so Hazel then picks up the script from here, because that's all if this, then that can do. If this, then that can't really run on my computer, but Hazel can so Hazel watches, I set up Hazel to watch this particular location on my computer to see, hey, is there a file that appeared called lock computer? And if so, I want Hazel to do two things. Number one, I want Hazel to move that file to the trash because I don't want all of these files just accumulating in my, in my folder. And number two, I want Hazel to run an Apple script. Um, and the Apple script is pretty simple. It's just tell application in in quotations screensaver engine, all one word, to activate and then end tell. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But what we're telling Hazel to do is to activate the screensaver. And hopefully in your system preferences uh, under security and privacy, you have set your screensaver to require a password once it's locked. So as soon as your screensaver activates you're now going to require a password to get access to your computer. Now, you could also have Hazel put your computer to sleep. You could have Hazel shut down your computer. I just personally chose to have it set my screensaver because I may have things going on in the background that I want to continue. And so that's it. Whenever I leave my house, whenever I leave my office, this if this, then that knows. It creates this text file in my Dropbox. Hazel picks up that text file in my Dropbox, and it fires off a note to activate the screensaver. Boom, done. You know, I did something similar several months ago with Launch Center Pro, where it created the text file, and then Hazel, Hazel did the uh, the action to shut the computer down or to sleep it. Uh, but adding the the twist to it to say, look at my location and turn it without me having to open Launch Center Pro and do it, I thought that was really smart. And, and there's definitely a place for Launch Center Pro to do that. And, and, and that's kind of where I got my idea because I knew that you would be able to do this with Launch Center Pro. So I figured, well, there must be a way to be able to, to automate this too. Um, and so in your case, I think you used Launch Center Pro when your computer was near you and you wanted to lock it. Yeah, exactly. I had a situation where I was in the next room and I realized I left somebody in the room with my computer that I didn't want having access to my computer. And I wanted a way to lock it remotely. So I made this launch center pro key. We'll put that in the show notes too. I wrote that up at Max Barkey a while back. Um, well, I, uh, we, we did a couple of other tips, but none of, we talked about uh, using Hazel and we talked a little bit about OpenDNS. But I, we, we've done entire podcasts on Hazel and on OpenDNS, so I don't know that it's really helpful to rehash those out here. Yeah, and I think those make more sense when you're sitting in front of us and we can show you some screens. So we're going to skip that for now. But we do want to thank 1Password for sponsoring the show. And I want to encourage you to stick, stick around with this show because we're going to now take this microphone out onto the show floor and share some of our Macworld experience with you. All right, I'm sitting here on the Macworld floor with Dave and Roostum from 1Password. You know, Dave, I have to tell you, you're one of my favorite people to see at Macworld because when I was getting Mac Sparky off the ground, 1Password was pretty new, and you and I met behind the Apple booth one day, and we talked for like 30 minutes about just stuff. And you're like one of my first big stranger friends I made at, at at Macworld, so I'm always happy to see you. So uh, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for sponsoring Mac Power Users this week. Uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the stuff that you're excited about happening at 1Password. Oh, th thanks so much for that introduction, Dave. It's been great great to know you over all these years as well. Um, in terms of 1Password, we're pretty excited about the uh, new iOS app that we're going to be releasing quite shortly. Our users have been um, very vocal that they want the new iOS 7 design, so we're, we're very close to delivering that. Um, we're actually a little behind on the iOS 7 design just because we wanted to pack so many other features in there. So we've changed a lot in syncing. We've added multiple vault support. Um, we've, we've added a lot, lot more in there. So, uh, you know, we're really excited with this release. Well, it's really great seeing all the people at the 1Password booth 
Uh, it looks to me like there's a lot of new users, but there's also a lot of people who just love using the app coming to check in with you guys. Um, Rustam, what's your favorite part about coming to Macworld? Uh, meeting users, meeting existing users, and meeting people uh, who never heard about 1Password. That happens surprisingly still. Uh, but yeah, we, we have great, uh, you just, we have great moments, many great moments at our booth here. La yesterday, a lady came and just hugged everyone at, at our booth. So that was just absolutely amazing. Well, it just really feels great. Uh, I always feel like I don't try to like sell people on buying Macs, but I will try to sell them on buying 1Password because I think it's just so important to have great password security. Katie and I were in a session this morning. We were talking about the importance of having a, a solid password basis, like you know, using the built-in stuff with iOS now. If somebody has your passcode, and you put all your stuff in iOS keychain, they're going to have your bank account numbers. And, and everybody was agreeing why it's great that we have one password. Yeah. So you know, one of the things we like to do is we like to give our users kind of a tip in some of these ad spots that we do. So you, you see a lot of questions from users, and you hear from everybody who uses your app. So give us a tip, either Mac or iOS-based. Um, what, what is one of your favorite features or one of your favorite tips or little hacks for, for using 1Password? Um, well, it actually ties in. Um, Bruce will have a tip as well, but okay. my uh, my tip would be to tie in with David's uh, iCloud talk. Is I actually don't mind iCloud Keychain at all. Like I don't really view ourselves as a big competitor with that. I, I actually see us working quite well together. I actually use iCloud Keychain for a lot of my weaker passwords, like for things that I don't really. Well, the passwords themselves are strong, um, but for sites that I don't really care too much about, you know, like forms and things like that. So that I can just go ahead and log in, you know, automatically on on all my iOS devices. So I actually don't view it as like an either or in that in that approach. Um, but for like bank account passwords, absolutely, uh, they're they're not going to iCloud because as soon as I give my device to someone, they have access to everything. So. I actually, my deli, I think I mentioned that my, my local grocery store does online ordering, so I keep that in one uh, in iCloud password, because I don't care, except I was very careful about giving David my iPhone, because he said something about ordering me some fancy cheese, and I really just like cheddar, so, but yeah, I was worried that. about that. We're going to work on that. Yeah, yeah. So, Rustam, give us a tip. Yeah, sure. Um, one of the features that we added in 1Password 4 on Mac is multiple vaults, and um, we took special care to make it not really visible to the new users because it, they could be overwhelmed by this feature. But if you're an experienced user, I think multiple vaults gives you uh, a lot of power. It allows you to choose how where you where you store your data. So basically, if you do consulting job uh, for another companies, it's a great place to separate your uh, personal data from from business. And uh, if you have a family or a small business, it's a great way to share uh, some of the items, some of the passwords with, uh, with a small group of people. Uh, it's not available on the iOS yet, but as Dave mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, we're adding this feature to iOS app, so it will be available very soon. When should we expect the new version of the iOS? Do you know yet, or is it still cooking? You're going to put us on the spot for that, are you? <laughs> I can't help myself. If you... It's okay. Um, we're... I, I shouldn't say a date. I always get into trouble whenever I say a date. It's, it's going to be soon. We wanted to have it available for Macworld. We didn't quite make that. Uh, we put in a few new nice features <laughs> instead. Um, but it's it's really close. Yeah, well, speaking on behalf of the users, we want it uh, as, fe as many features as possible more than quickly because we all love the features. So I understand you guys have a special going on here at Macworld now. We're recording this, and the show's going to come out on Monday. Is there any chance that's, that's still going to be going on? Um, well, I, I wasn't expecting that. The sale's supposed to end on Sunday as soon as the sale, as soon as Macworld's over. But uh, for you guys and for your awesome users, I think I think it's a good idea. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and extend it for a few days for you, um, but not for much longer. So you know, a couple of days, and, and then we got we gotta we gotta cut the sale. All right. So if you're listening to this, just stop what you're doing if you don't have one password, and you can go grab uh, the Mac app. And what is the special? Uh, the special is 50% off uh, 1Password for Mac, and um, you can it's 50% off in our web store as well as the Mac app store if you prefer purchasing there. So, so there you have it, Mac Power users. This, the discount is just because me and Katie are sitting here giving trouble to the developers. So you guys need to deliver for us and go buy the application while it's still on sale. Uh, 
everybody, it's David. We're back in the media room uh, doing the recordings on the stage floor. Just the audio was too rough. So we thought instead that Katie and I would just go over some of our favorite picks we found from the show floor. And when we were looking at our list this morning, uh, Katie and I both noticed that number one was Busy Contacts. That's a new application from our folks at BusyCal. Uh, they've taken on calendars and now they're taking on contacts apps. And Katie, I don't know about you, I'm very excited about this application. The folks at BusyMac um, emailed me actually after we introduced our contacts and our, our co- contacts show and then our calendar show, and we talked about how we have all kinds of problems managing our contacts and how we haven't quite found the perfect application that works for that. And he sent me a little note saying. I think we might be able to solve your problem soon with a little smiley face and then didn't hear anything. And now, of course, we know that, that Busy Contacts is, is their solution to that. And we got a demo of, of Busy Contacts. Um, it's going to be available as a public beta later this summer. It's slated for launch later this year, and it's going to be $50 when it's available. It's going to require 10.9 Mavericks. But what it does is it, just like BusyCal feeds from the calendar database, Busy Contacts is going to feed from all your various contacts database, whether it's iCloud, whether it's Google, whether it's Exchange, or whatever contacts that you use. And it has some really smart uh, filtering, searching, tagging options that allows you to organize your contacts in really intelligent ways. And then, of course, it integrates in if you're a BusyCal user so that if you have appointments set up with contacts, you can see when your last appointment or when your next appointment is with a particular contract contact. If they've accepted an invite to a meeting, you'll see that in your contacts list. So, David, the example that they gave us on the show floor is you kind of have used your own put-together tagging system for your contacts where you do, you know, hashtag... Uh, you know, I don't know. Pick a, pick a tag that you've you've kind of created within your contacts. Well, you can then convert those into busy contacts tags, and and you can now have tagging within your contacts, which I think is going to be a huge feature. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a no brainer. Uh, tags make a lot of sense in contacts lists, so you can have like your Christmas card list or whatever list you want, and you can have it all tagged, and it, it displays it really nicely. It's got a great user interface, just like you know the guys at BusyCal are capable of. And it won a Best in Show award, I saw. So it's really going to be something to look at. It's not out yet, but uh, it's looking to me like it's pretty darn close because uh, we were we were working pretty intensely with the current build, and I, I thought that was a great app. And it's you can check it out. They've got it on the web now, so just go ahead and search Busy Contacts, and you can get some screencasts yourself, and we'll put it in the show links as soon as we get back to a computer is where we can do that. What do you got next, Katie? Well, I, I am a big fan of Skosh, and I've got a couple of their cables, and they had an interesting cable that is a lightning cable to micro USB cable, and when I look in my bag for when I travel, these are cables that I travel with all the time. Most of my things now are micro USB, and of course, all of my iOS accessories are lightning, so this is a cable that has a lightning adapter, and a it kind of folds back, and then it has a, I'm sorry, it has a micro USB adapter, and then it folds back, and it has a lightning adapter so they're all connected so you don't have to carry a bunch of different cables and it will both charge and sync your iOS devices as well as charge and sync any other devices that you have um, that work with those micro micro USB cables so um, that's great because it will work with Android devices, it will work with e-readers, it will work with digital cameras if they work with lightning or uh, micro USB and it just keeps you from having to to carry a bunch of cables because I know I've got my lightning adapters and almost all my batteries have those micro USB so I like that Did did you see one of those? Yeah, I, I thought that was a great idea. And like you, the idea of carrying one less cable is very attractive. So the way it works is it, it defaults as a micro USB cable, but there's just a little thing you pop on the micro USB end that turns it into a lightning cable. And so you store it in your bag with the lightning adapter attached. And when you need micro USB, you pull it off and you plug it in. That is going to be in my bag for now. That 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 was really great. That, you know, I liked, you know, going around the floor and finding kind of little things that were of interest. And one of them is a company called Square Jellyfish. And they had some really cool camera accessories there. And one of the ones I really dug was this tiny little tripod because um, my Olympus camera is not very big. But I do like the ability to take uh, long exposures once in a while. And I've always wanted to have a little tripod. And they've got this nice one there. It's very lightweight. It'll fit in your bag. You can put it in your pocket even. And it's also solid, and it's going to hold the camera solidly. 
It's at Square Square Jellyfish. Um, in fact, I'm going to go there and buy one of those. Uh, we're, we're recording this Saturday morning, and I haven't shot my wad yet, but uh, I've been going around the floor yet, and now today I'm going to blow some money, and I'm definitely going to buy one of those little tripods. And those were interesting to me as well, because you know I've been shooting a, a couple of videos, and I, I'd like to get more into video. I've got a YouTube channel now, and you can find a link to that on my website if you're interested. I've only got two videos up there, but I was trying to figure out how am I going to shoot these videos, and my iPhone's a great camera, but I don't have a tripod for it. And I also saw, you know, the Glyph has come out with a, a new mount. And um, so if you have a standard tripod, which I don't, I should, probably should get one, you can attach your, your camera, your, your iPhone to a standard tripod using the Glyph. But I thought what was nice about those little jelly things is, is it was a little mini tripod kind of self-contained in and of itself. So those look very interesting. And I think they had them both for phones and cameras and, and tablets. So that was interesting. Um, my next interesting thing I saw on the show floor is from a company called Goal Zero, and my family is trying to plan um, a trip. You know, we went to Alaska last year, and we've we've kind of got the travel bug now. So now we want to try to plan a family trip next year to the Grand Canyon. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but they don't have power at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and uh, so if you want to keep any kind of devices charged. And, you know, you can argue whether or not that's a good idea to actually take your electronics into the Grand Canyon. But if you want to keep any of your devices charged, you've got to bring your own power. And I've seen a couple of small handheld, you know, iPhone-sized solar chargers in the past. But honestly, they were pretty lousy, lousy-type chargers, and you'd keep them in the sun all day, and you'd, you'd end up getting very minimal charges. Uh, Goal Zero seems to have solved that problem, and solar technology has come a long, long way. You know, it seems to advance by leap and bounds every couple of years. And so this is a kit that you can buy. They've, they've got various sizes, but their Goal Zero Switch 8 and Nomad 7 kit is, is a two-piece kit. It, it includes um, two solar panels that when you they look like a folder when you open them up, and when you fold them back together, they're about the size of an iPad mini. Uh, and then it also includes a little charger stick, which is what actually holds the charge. So you, you open up the solar panels, you leave it out in the sun for, depending on the sun and the type of day it is, anywhere between four to eight hours. But he says typically if it's a sunny day on the lower end of four to eight hours, and it will recharge the charger. Um, and I, I, I don't, you can buy different, different milliamp chargers, but it's about enough to charge a current iPhone one and a half times. So you'll get at least a full charge with a little leftover on your iPhone. And then you take that charger once it's recharged, and you can buy multiple chargers. They sell them separately, and now you can go charge your iPhone or any other USB charge device. And you can buy, you know, one solar panel and multiple chargers, so you can charge multiple chargers in a day and then have enough to charge several iPhones. So uh, it, uh, it seemed to solve a problem if you're someone who camps a lot or if you're someone who's out in areas who don't have power. Or I'll tell you, in Florida, we've had a couple of hurricanes come through on more than one occasion where we've lost power for five and six days before we actually get it brought back. And so this might might be something good to have in, in your your uh, survival bag. Katie's completely freaked out about earthquakes. There was one in LA. Yeah, there was a, an earthquake in L.A. just just while we were up at Macworld. And um, so, you know, while I don't have my backup and I don't have brownouts, the earth does shake once in a while here. So it probably would be a good idea for me to get one of these and put it in our earthquake family earthquake bag. Even if you're not going camping, I, I I'm with Katie though. It seems like these things have always been gimmicky, but these guys seem like they've got it figured out. So uh, I'm going to be talking to them today too. See, this is this is getting expensive already. You know, something I got to do. I've been a Backblaze user now for about a year, and I use the service, but I didn't fully understand what I can do with it. And one of the nice things about coming to MacWorld is you get to talk with the vendors and the engineers behind the products. And Backblaze has a big presence here this year. And I've enjoyed speaking with them and actually getting better at my Backblaze backup. So I'm fully on board with Backblaze at this point. And it was really great talking to them while I was here. Yeah, I, I had an opportunity to to meet the Backblaze folks. And they actually had one of their Backblaze pods here on the, the floor of Macworld. I'm going to try to get a picture of it. And um, I know you've got a photo stream up on, on MacSparky.com. Maybe you can add a picture of the pod there. Uh, Backblaze is really doing some interesting stuff and, and, quite frankly, a great service to the Mac community because they're giving us all this data about, hey, this is what we've learned about these hard drives, and this is what we've learned about hard drive failures, and these these are the models that we've learned that fail, and these, these are the times that we learned that fail. And, you know, of course, any hard drive can fail at any time, and you may have a hard drive that's an outlier that lasts you six, seven years. But, 
um, it, 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 the data that they're collecting, they just have a, a huge amount of data. And uh, it, it's very interesting, and they're publishing that and making it available to the Mac community. So that's a great service. I had an opportunity to talk to them, too. Uh, I'm, I may be in the market for a an, another off-site backup provider, you know, the starting to have some some interesting issues with, with mine, but uh, I know you've been very happy since you made the, the switch to Backblaze, so that definitely something that I'm going to check out. They seem to be very fully vested in the Mac community, and I, I, I like what I see, and I like what they're doing. So, uh, you found some cool music stuff on the show floor, though. Yeah, there was a, you know, every year at Macworld, there's some great music vendors. In fact, a, a listener found me yesterday and told me that there's an app on the floor that can read and play sheet music. I haven't seen that yet. I'm going to be looking for that today. But one thing I found is great for guitar players. It's called the Guitar Jack Stage. And uh, that's one word, Guitar Jack, with the camel case. And it's digital in and digital out for your guitar. So, you know, you've got your stomp box if you're a guitar player. Uh, they've got it where you can, it's got, it's a physical stomp box, but it attaches to your iPad to an app and gives you those digital effects and allows you to control the guitar effects uh, with a physical stomp box. And there was some really great guitar music being played there yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I went by there with a friend of mine who's a pretty good guitar player, and he just completely lost it over that. And I always like seeing the music people show up for Macworld. So if you're a guitar player, that's something you definitely want to check out, the guitar. Kind of my last pick, and there's so many things that it was hard to pick, but uh, one of my favorite services, and maybe I talk about it too much, is Cloak, and they're a VPN service that I use. And they came out with version 2 that they announced here at Macworld. World. And I, I think it's great that we've got so many people who are announcing new products here at Macworld. And version two of Cloak is a free upgrade if you're if you're using version one of Cloak. It's got a, a brand new UI, a brand new interface, but it does some fun stuff both on iOS and on the Mac. And, and candidly, I didn't know this was even possible on iOS when I upgraded to the iOS app. On the Mac app, Cloak has always had the ability to uh, automatically secure your connection with a VPN if you are on an untrusted network. And by default, Cloak always said, well, an untrusted network is a network that is not secured. And then you could go into your preferences and you could say, well, yes, this is an unsecured network, but I know this network, I connect to this network, I feel comfortable on this network. So if you walked into the Starbucks and you connected to the Starbucks network, Cloak would say, oh, red alert, I'm going to I'm gonna VPN and, and automatically secure your connection so you don't have to worry about it. But if perhaps I went on to an unsecured connection and it was my office connection that had, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I could exempt that and say, no, don't, don't worry about securing my connection when I'm connected to this specific network. Well, Cloak version 2 now has the ability to do that on iOS. So I updated to Cloak version 2 on iOS and I happened to connect to the Macworld iWorld network that we have here, which knowing some of these shady characters, most of whom are our friends here at Macworld iWorld, I was um, I was very relieved to see that when I pulled my iPhone out of my pocket, it had the little VPN icon up at the top that it had automatically noticed that Macworld iWorld was an unsecure network that had not been added to my trusted network list. And it, it said, don't worry, Katie, I got you. I, I turned on VPN for you. No, no problem. You're you don't have to worry about that John F. Braun character, or that that Max Sparky character. Uh, you're you're nice and secured, and that was that was pretty cool. And uh, Cloak can also now um, sync your settings across. And what they've done is they've also changed up their pricing options. So um, they had the Cloak Mini plan, which is what I used. It was like three bucks a month, and uh, you'd get up to five gigabytes worth of data. And they had an unlimited plan, which they've now dropped to nine ninety nine. But what I think a lot of people will like is they've now got a week-long pass. So you can buy a week pass if, you know, if you're just going to a conference or maybe you don't travel that much. Um, you can just purchase a, a seven-day pass for Cloak and, um, and you know, use it for, for when you need it. So I thought, uh, I thought that was a, a neat feature. I was actually very disappointed that Katie was using Cloak because... I had fully intended to hack into your computer and find out your your deli order, your sandwich order. You know, people want to know, Katie. Um, a couple of, I have two more, and then I'll wrap it up. The uh, first is, the, I don't know if you know about these ergonomic mice where you hold your hands sideways. That used to be a thing years ago, and then they kind of went away. And there was a vendor here selling them. I used one for a little while. I thought it was kind of cool. I don't think I'm going to give up my magic trackpad because I... Better touch tool is so great. But if you're into using mice and you want something a little more ergonomic, 
check out a company called Evoluent, E-V-O-L-U-E-N-T. They have a really great ergonomic uh, mouse where you hold your hand sideways as opposed to the normal way you hold the mouse. It's very natural. And uh, I used it for a while and was just quite impressed with the device. Uh, the other thing that I was impressed with is the new Livescribe 3-pin. I, I, I waxed poetic about Livescribe several years ago on Mac Power Users, and since then I've kind of fallen by the wayside and stopped using it, largely because of some of the iPad apps that I use and because the iPads become so essential. Well, now the Livescribe pin has Bluetooth radio in it, and it talks straight to your iPad. So if you take notes on a piece of paper, they show up nearly simultaneously on the iPad through Livescribe. Um I'm not sure if I'm going to get another one or not, but I'm looking at this thing pretty quick, carefully. As as we leave this recording, I'm going to go out to the show floor and kind of play with it again to see if it's something I, I need or not. Yeah, the, the LiveScribe pen was something that I took a hard look at, too. You know, you, you talk so highly of the LiveScribe that I, I bought one, and, and I bought one of their, their original first-generation pens, and it did everything that advertised. I mean, I, I certainly have no complaints in terms of its functionality, but my complaint is that I, I didn't think that it was a good pen. Um, it was just not real comfortable from a from a standpoint of an ergonomics and as a good pen to use. And... Um, They've they've made some changes to the LifeScribe three pen. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's 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 still a, a large techie pen. Um, you know, people are going to look at it and, and definitely know that that's a that's a distinctively different pen. But it's a better pen now, I think. And and they also have the ability where you can add um, more generic ink cartridges to the pen. I mean, you can't just put any ink cartridge in the pen, but I, I, for example, I like to write with a gel ink. And so now you can just go as, as long as it's the proper size, you can go to any reasonable, um, you know, office supply store and get an off the shelf, uh, gel ink cartridge to put in your live scribe pen, which I think is going to make it a lot better. Yeah, and that was one of the issues with the original one because the the mechanics of it, there's a camera inside it that records the strokes. It's not like you can take pictures of your friends with it, but it the micro dots on the page it needs to see. And with the original one, they had a ballpoint pen in there because they want the pressure of the pen to trigger, to turn the camera on. So when you're pressing down, then the camera starts so the battery doesn't die. I think they've figured that out now. And uh, like I said, I'm going to go take another look at it. I'm not sure yet if I need one or not, but it is nice to see that they're they're updating it. And I'm, the jury's out for me on that one. I, I think you still have to use, in fact, I'm pretty sure you still have to use the special LiveScribe paper. Um, yes, yeah, and David is acknowledging, yes, we do. We're sharing a microphone here, so you may not be able to hear him as well. Um, and, and I hope that that's something that they can fix in the future because... Oh, yeah. David's saying, no, they can't. But that that would be the holy grail for me is if I could just take that LiveScribe pen and, and grab any legal pad and, and use it. But I, I guess that's probably not coming in the future. Yeah, the, the technology is it has these what they call micro dots on the page, and every page is distinctive, and that's how it knows where to put the ink on when it puts it on your iPad or makes the digital recording. Um, you can print out your own paper. That's possible. But you still need the special LiveScribe paper. But it is quite an amazing product, especially if you're somebody who likes to use a pen to take notes in a meeting. Anyway, it's been a fun Macworld. Uh, we're recording this Saturday morning. Uh, in the last few days, I think I've done five presentations and gone to like six parties and I don't know how many meals and met so many people. I've had so much fun meeting the listeners especially. I was I was with my wife at a party and a listener came up and told me how much he liked the show. It made me feel like a rock star in front of my lady, which was always great. And I had a great time uh, with Katie, even though she looks at me judgmentally when I drink tea still. And uh, I hope you guys all got a sense of how much fun we've had, and, and you'll come next year. And thanks, thanks, One Password, for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, by the way, the One Password booth was just packed the whole show. I couldn't believe there was people lined up. Everybody's looking at One Password. You should too. And it's on sale uh, for our listeners who listen you know, right after the show comes out, thanks to uh, the generosity of Dave and Roostum. Yeah, it's it's been a great show, and as always, David, this is this is my favorite week of the month, and now I have to to go back to reality where, you know, I'm I'm just a lawyer, and 
back to back to the grindstone. Uh, but you can find links, and, and keep in mind the show notes may not quite be updated immediately when the show is posted. Uh, I'm taking the red eye back tonight, and we'll be editing this show on the red eye so that we can get it posted for you in time. Um, and it may take us a day or two to, to get the links posted, but you can find the links to everything that we talked about at some point um, on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can find us on Twitter at MacPowerUsers and I'm at MacSparky and Katie's at Katie Foley. Can you tell that I'm anxious to get onto the show floor and spend money now? I'm sorry, Katie's telling me what I'm supposed to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to email us, too. <laughs> it's feedback at Mac Power Users. I'm a little, you know, we went to the big party last night, and I'm still feeling it. You got to hang in there with me. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.